Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 72, brought to you by Wicked Tree Gear. Today we're talking saddle hunting with Greg Godfrey of Tethered Nation. So stay tuned. All right, what is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to all of you out there. Hope that you're getting some deer work in as we press on toward the the deer hunting season, which is fast approaching here. My buddy John is out, of course, in Montana uh, as I'm recording this at the Total Archery Challenge. So hopefully here the the next week or so we'll be able to get a check in with John and see how how the shoot went and what he what he's been up to. Uh, but for me, I've been up to basically just shooting my bow a lot, man. I'm trying to get get everything dialed in, stay dialed in. Uh, as I'd mentioned, I switched to a single pin site, so I've been really kind of working on that single pin, single yardage at at, uh, at different distances um, in terms of a 3D target. You know, kind of moved to starting to work on you know the um, you know hard angling toward and hard you know kind of quartering away shots just to make sure that you know I'm all kind of ready to go when the season hits. And the one thing that I did here, I guess this past week, was just start really kind of adding in you know, shooting from platform. I usually shoot from platform a fair amount whenever I'm hitting the range, but I'm not hitting the range nearly as much this year because I have space in my backyard to shoot some 3D. So I've been doing that. So i got a tree stand set up in my backyard. been flinging some arrows at that. Of course, having the uh, having the kiddo as my helper and pulling the arrows out of the target for me so I don't have to climb down every time, which is kind of kind of nice. Might border on child labor, but uh, I think I might be able to get, uh, get away with it. I uh, have a cool show today, so I'm not going to belabor a bunch of points here in the upfront, but one thing I did want to do in terms of a, just a little bit of housekeeping here is that I'm going to do another giveaway during the course of this show, and I'm going to give you the deets right now. Um, I'm going to give away an Exodus Trek trail camera. That's right, so Exodus 
This is some really good buddies of ours. I got a camera to give away. I have one of these. These are uh, the Trek is their newest camera uh, that came out just this past uh, past winter, and uh, it's it's a little bit more of a, a streamlined version of their uh, Lift Two camera. Uh, so they're able to come in at a little bit of a lower of, of a price point. The camera still kicks ass. Uh, it just it comes with a, a few um, some of the features, I guess you could say, from the Lift to the Trek are are not there just in terms of the the viewport window and stuff like that. That it really kind of increases the cost of the camera overall. So this is really just the the kind of a really good uh, camera at a really good price point. Gives great uh, pictures, you know, images. Uh, it still has video, um, all the things that you've kind of like come to love about the about the Lift cameras is all kind of there um, with just kind of a streamlined uh, feature approach. So um, in order to give this away, what we're going to do here is usually we do something with social media, but what we're going to do this time is we're going to do a email sign-up. So anyone who wants to get involved um, in winning this Exodist uh, Trek camera, all you need to do is head to truthfromthestand at truthfromthestand.com backslash about and sign up for the Truth From The Stand newsletter. Uh, if you do that, you will then be in the running uh, for a drawing to to win the camera. And since the price point on these is around $145, $147, we're going to go ahead and set that. Once we have 147 people sign up, then I'll go ahead and do the drawing and we'll do the uh, giveaway. Um, so that's on the About page, the sign-up form. You can also sign up, and if you haven't been to the website recently, and you hop on to truthfromthestandard.com, a pop-up will show up. And that is another way that you can sign up. If you sign up through that, you'll also get the option to download a um, an out-of-state DIY kind of checklist and guide for things to consider. So in order to get involved in the Exodus giveaway, just sign up for the Truth From The Stand newsletter, truthfromthestand.com backslash about. And then, so today, uh, we, again, I'm not going to belabor a bunch of stuff here on the upfront. Just wanted to pass that along so folks can get involved to uh, to win the camera. But today we have a really cool show. Uh, Greg Godfrey is coming on from Tethered Nation. So you probably heard John and I kind of talking, I guess it was maybe two podcasts ago, um, about some of the things that we're planning to change up for this year, some tactics or strategies that we're going to kind of put into place. So one of the things I had mentioned that the, one of the tactics I'm going to kind of, you know, change up a little bit is is really my approach to hunting from an elevated situation. And, you know, I've been a stand hunter uh, and that's what I've kind of have used. Um, I don't know maybe but a handful of times that I've hunted from the ground um, in terms of in terms of archery hunting uh, usually it'd be you know when I have my daughter out or whatever I'm not going to get into a stand and taking her out with me just to kind of get out in the woods um, and maybe of course from you know other than turkey season um, but one of the things you know I'm sure you guys have have, have listened especially to that podcast a couple podcasts ago when we were talking about it my challenge is, is that especially when some of the public lands hunts that I do you know I'm always looking for ways to decrease my weight um, you know, I, I taking a stand in a pack with a bunch of stuff that I probably don't need, you know, stuff for, you know, filming camera equipment, stuff like that. It gets pretty heavy, you know, and if you're hunting in some kind of nasty terrain, it makes it, you know, extra challenging or more challenging than it needs to, than, than it needs to be. Um, you know, I was having a joke with, uh, with my buddy Chad the other day, we were talking about our packs and we do the same thing every hunting season. We take our packs, we dump it out and we kind of go through it. And I'm sure a lot of you guys out there listening are guilty, the, guilty of this too. I dump it out and say, you know what, I'm only going to take absolutely what are the necessities and what are the requirements with me into the, into the stand this year or into the, into the timber. And by and large, whenever I fill the pack back up with all my necessities, nearly everything that I dumped out makes its way back in as some type of, that I, I, I basically rationalize a reason to have everything in there. 
Um, so knowing that, you know, I figured I may never ever cut my weight from my from my pack. Um, but what I can do is start to look for ways to cut my weight uh, down from in terms of what I'm using to to hunt from my elevated platform or whatever whatever I'm going to use. I've been hearing a lot about saddle hunting. Of course, I had recently read uh, one of John Eberhardt's books, and he pretty much saddle hunts 100%. Um, and so I really kind of started thinking about maybe this would be an, an option for me. And, you know, I had a lot of the same probably misconceptions or concerns that a lot of you out there have, which, you know, was the safety aspect of it, the, the mobility aspect of it when you're in the tree, how easy is it to get a shot off, um, all those types of things. And what I had realized was is that I was kind of not, I was hesitant to move forward with saddle hunting because of ignorance i just didn't know i didn't know the answer to some of these things and and rightly so you're kind of fearful of what you don't you know of the unknown to a degree um so i thought a good option here was as i hear kind of talk about saddle hunting more and more i thought it would be, be a good idea to bring someone on who has been saddle hunting for quite some time who has developed a product to kind of make saddle hunting more you know easier more accessible more comfortable more convenient um, and kind of dispel some of those myths and then kind of give us a 101 of how to get started saddle hunting. Um, and so I, I dialed up uh, Greg Godfrey and had him come on just to kind of explain his approach and some of the things he's found uh, useful in terms of helping him become successful and uh, what are the, some of the best ways and applications to you know for saddle hunting. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get Greg dialed in. But before we do that, let's take a quick second to hear a few words about our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. We're brought to you by Wicked Tree Gear, the longest lastest, fastest cutting, toughest tree trimming equipment you have ever used. Simply put, the toughest saws on earth. How tough are they? Tough enough to come with a lifetime warranty. And right now, when you visit wickedtreegear.com, use the promo code TRUTH at checkout and get a 20% discount on your Wicked purchase. We're also brought to you by Exodus Outdoor Gear. The new Exodus Trek is a byproduct of all consumer voice voices who have been excited about the Exodus trail cameras, what they have to offer, but just can't fit a $200 camera in their budget, and that's okay. A budget-friendly camera backed by the industry's leading warranty is now here. The Trek comes in at $145, has the same proprietary shell design as the Lift series cameras, same five-year warranty and great customer service policies, 0.7-second trigger speed, photo, video, time-lapse, hybrid modes, all with a single-line backlit LED display. And you also get about 20,000 images on one set of lithium batteries. If you'd like to learn more about Exodus trail cameras, check them out at exodusoutdoorgear.com. And if you like what you see, save yourself 20 bucks by using the promo code TRUTH at checkout. We're also brought to you by Tecamani Seed. As I've mentioned previously, I'm doing a bunch of or a few fall plots this year. And just in the nick of time, Tecamani has just released their new Wicked Greens product, which has a variety of winter, winter grains, brassicas, and clover. This is perfect for fall and late season hunting attraction. Go to tecamani.com and use the product selector tool to learn more about the products and use the promo code TRUTH at checkout and save yourself 20% on any Tecamani purchases. We're also brought to you by Glacier Coolers, simply the world's finest. Whether you're hunting, camping, or fishing, you'll enjoy smarter design, stronger construction, and superior insulation of Glacier Coolers. Visit them at GlacierCoolers.com. Promo code TRUTH. Save yourself 20%. All right, folks. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today, uh, I'm pretty stoked to, ha to, to do this show today because uh, for a couple reasons. One... 
Um, I'm always stoked to talk to your honey. Number two, I, there's, you know, many out there have probably kind of noticed there's been a little bit of a groundswell when it comes to talking saddle hunting. It seems like I think as the public land, um, hunting has kind of become more and more popular or more and more interesting to more and more people. I think the need to kind of hunt more mobile and lighter has become a, a need. So saddle hunting is something I've heard a lot more about in the recent past. And it, of course, being the person who does hunt a fair amount of public land myself, it has kind of piqued my interest as well. And I, I just happened to run into a fellow by the name of, uh, of Greg Godfrey, uh, who works with Tethered. And uh, he and I struck up a conversation and I thought it'd be a fine idea to have him come on and talk a little saddle hunting because I'm sure the questions I have are probably a lot of the same type of questions you folks out there listening might have as well. So, Greg, thanks for hopping on the line, and uh, thanks for joining us today. Of course, man. Clint, I appreciate you uh, having me on. It's uh, I'm the same way. Anytime I get the chance to talk deer hunting, you know, I'm all over it. Right, man. I hear I hear that, dude. So I, w- I do want to share this with the folks out there listening. So as, as Greg and I were getting set up, you know, we were setting up our Skype. And in full disclosure, I've been listening to a lot of uh, the Jocko podcast recently. And for anyone out there listening who doesn't know who Jocko is, Jocko is a, he's got a podcast. He does a lot of leadership training, but his background is he's like, he's when you think of like the quintessential hardcore Navy SEAL, like he is that guy who's done a lot of crazy, badass stuff, essentially. And so, of course, a lot of the stuff he's done is taking it taken place in the, in the Middle East in the early in mid 2000s. And uh, so I've been listening to a lot of his stuff recently. And so I'm getting ready to set up the Skype with with Greg and he gives me his Skype address. And so I'm looking it up. And uh, I totally forgot that you uh, are are a serviceman, and the the your your information comes up as being in Afghanistan. It says you know Islamic State something, and so I was really hesitant to click on it because I thought it was going to be put on some type of list because I've been kind of <laughs> I've been kind of all like whacked out with like a bunch of Middle Eastern war stories and stuff like that. And I was like, man, the FBI is going to be knocking down my door tomorrow if I click on this dude's profile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's fair. Like I said, we um. I, I used to use Skype a lot when I was deployed in Afghanistan back in 2012 and, you know, talk to wife, talk to the kids, whatever. And I don't use it much anymore. So unless I'm doing a podcast. And so I just never changed the fact that I'm in Afghanistan. So, you know, you could set your status back in the day. I don't even know if people do that anymore, but you could set your status back in the day on Skype. And I had it in Afghanistan for whatever reason and never changed it. So, yeah. So now I guess Maybe I look a little bit more hardcore. Me and Jocko. Anytime you're mentioning the same sentence with Jocko, you know, I'll take that. Right? Yeah, that's a, that's a, yeah, exactly, man. Because that's that's one hardcore dude. And if anyone, if 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 I were ever even like a quarter of the hardcoreness as that guy, then I'd definitely be doing something right. But um, you know, I don't know if he saddle hunts though, so we might be one up on him there. That might yeah. Be let one- me go ahead and say in full disclosure that I am nowhere even close to claiming that I'm even in the same league as Jocko. That dude is just a stone-cold killer. He's like Rambo, for sure. Yeah, he, t- he totally is. But again, man, I think I think we might have him on saddle hunting, though. I don't know how, I don't know if he can find big deer. I don't know if he can, I don't know if he can hunt out of a saddle. So that would be something where maybe we could give some leadership training after this podcast. That's true. Take that, Jocko. Right, exactly. Anyway, I think that's a good place to start, man. You know, I always like to kind of start off, you know, with a little bit of background with the folks that we have on, just kind of, so we can kind of get a sense of, you know, where you're from, your experiences, what you do professionally, you know, and, and, and a little bit of history about yourself. So if you wouldn't mind, indulge us, if you would, please. Yeah. So like I said, um, active duty Army, currently stationed in Fort Stewart, Georgia. That's in so- southeast Georgia on the coast near Savannah. And that's where I am right now. But 
you know, in the military, we move a lot. So I've been all over, lived in Colorado and Georgia a couple different times and upstate New York. And then, you know, like I said, I've been, been across the pond a couple of times as well. But originally I'm from Florida, so I'm very much a southeastern guy. That's how I grew up hunting. That's where I learned to hunt. Uh, but then, you know, when I joined the military, I had this opportunity to kind of hunt all over the country, hunted mule deer and elk out west and hunted the Georgia swamp deer and then I hunted more upland Georgia deer you know, a little bit further west in western Georgia. And then it was completely different when I went and hunted in upstate New York hmm. uh, in the mountains and in the uh, kind of, the, I, I wouldn't call it coastal, but right there on the Great Lakes area where there's lots of water, lots of lakes, lots of rivers and streams and um so I, I really have a, a wide experience of hunting just because of, of army moves. Uh, but so that, that's kind of my, my hunting background, but then, you know, I'm married, uh, I've been married for a long time. I'm an old guy. I've been married almost 14 years, actually 14 years this month wow. Had a couple of kids and, uh, yeah, man. So that's, that's what I do for, uh, for a living. And then, you know, I'm sure we'll get into it, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a saddle hunting freak and that's what I really, that's my favorite way to hunt. Nice. Yeah. I, uh, so congratulations first and foremost on the, uh, on the, on the 14 years. And I will also say thank you for your, for your, uh, selfless, uh, service. Always appreciate the, the folks who are making sure that we continue to have all the cool things that we have on, on this side of the pond, uh, is due to folks like you. So appreciate, uh, the efforts there. Um, it's I'm 15 years in, in marriage. So with one, with one kid. So we got that, we got that in common there. Um, I'm curious, man, though, when you've, when you've been deployed though, have you, have you ever taken or had an opportunity, I guess, to do any, any hunting scouting type of like, I don't know, just, I'm curious if you run into any of the, the native species that are over there, just anything like that. Yeah. Well, you, you definitely run into this to the native species, but as far as hunting and recreation, that's not really something that we're able to get into now. Maybe guys like Jocko that have a little bit more freedom uh, in the in the special operations world, they mm. may be able to do stuff like that. But in the conventional army, it's a pretty regimented thing, and you don't have a lot of free time. So right. it's just kind of it, it, now it, it wouldn't really be something practical to do over there. Right. Plus, they don't really have a lot of stuff like you know like we do here in America, where there's access to public land and uh, lots of wildlife roaming around. It's just, you know, it's kind of different, different culture and, and a, a different vibe over there. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the one thing it's when you talk about public land, not to necessarily get off on a tangent, you know, related to this stuff necessarily, but the, uh, it, it's one of those things I always say whenever I'm talking to folks about it, that it's, it's one of those things that is, makes us, you know, it, it's, I guess, let me, how am I going to say this? It's public lands are quintessentially American. Right. You don't go to very many places, if any, that I can think of off the top of my head that have lands, the vast lands that the public of a country own outright. That is something that is unique to us. And I think it's interesting whenever you get an opportunity to travel places, how, you know, if, if you take notice, you know, if you're doing the tourist thing, maybe you don't take notice. But if you do get a chance to just kind of take some time to just see how many pieces of land are open and owned by the public and you'd be hard pressed to find any outside of outside of the u.s um you know which is you know another you know another perk of among the many of of, of living in the u.s um but i want to kind of dive into saddle hunting of course man so i'm curious you know you said you're a southern guy right through and through so when 
when did you kind of pick up the the saddle? I'm, I'm assuming that you didn't start out saddle hunting. I didn't. It started out actually out of necessity because, um, you know, I, I got the, the notification that I was going to be moving, you know, in the army, we're going to be going out West and I grew up hunting in the South, you know, like probably many folks grew up hunting in the South where you hunted with your family. And, you know, my dad took care of our tree stands and he hung them and, and he did everything for us. And that's how we grew up hunting. And then, you know, when I became an adult, joined the military and moved off on my own and I wanted to continue hunting, I was faced with this dilemma of, man, I can't afford to buy all of these tree stands like I grew up, you know, cause we would have 10, 15 of them out in the woods at any given time. And that's how we hunted. You know, you just kind of bounced around to the different places that you wanted to hunt, you know, based on food or rut activity or pinch points, whatever you were, whatever style you were hunting. But I didn't really have that opportunity. And then, you know, the second piece of that was that I was forced to hunt public land. I grew right. up hunting pretty much all private land on leases with my family. And I was really nervous that, hey, man, I don't want to leave stands up in the woods, you know, for two reasons, really. I didn't want them to get stolen. And then, B, I didn't want to alert every hunter in the woods where I was hunting so they might move in on, on you know, quote, unquote, my territory. It's public land, but, you know, you still right. feel a little territorial when you find a, 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 some good sign. And, and that's kind of where the research started. And at first I was hunting out of a climbing stand, and, and that worked. Uh, that worked okay. Um I was familiar with that. We hunted with climbing stands a little bit growing up, but I I never had to deal with walking long distances through difficult terrain like I experienced in Colorado. So I tree stand hunted in Colorado, and not very many people do that. It's almost all spot and stalk out west. Right. But I had no experience doing that, and I was way more comfortable hunting from a tree stand, so that's the way I did it. But hiking with that climber just it was no bueno so that's when i kind of decided to jump in with both feet into saddle hunting that's when i found it and i was hunting out of an old trophy line tree saddle but uh for the first few years of saddle hunting i'm going to say from 2009 to 2000 probably 12 ish 12 13 ish i i was back and forth i was using tree stands traditional hang on tree stands climbing tree stands and then i was using the saddle when it made sense uh but you know, since probably 2013 or so, I've hunted exclusively from a saddle. Nice. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting how you kind of go through, through phases, right. As, as a hunter, it, it, it kind of takes shape in all different kind of kinds of ways, right. If you think about just the hunt itself, some folks, you start off as a kid and you, you you're happy to, and maybe even as an older adult, you're happy, but it's, you kind of make this progression of like anything will do. And then, especially as a bow hunter, and then you kind of start seeking out more challenging things where you start maybe going after, you know, a more mature age class of deer to give you a little bit more challenge. And then maybe you want to hunt more difficult terrain. And then, you know, and, and once you kind of get into that difficult terrain, you know, it becomes every, every pound matters. Right. And that's really, you know, whenever I kind of happened upon, you know, your, your website and, and whenever you and I first struck up a conversation, that was really what my thought was, was that, a lot of the hunting I did last year, particularly was a really rugged terrain and I was packing in a stand and in my pack and on, on every hunt and I'm happy to do it. You know, I'm a pretty fit guy. I stay in shape and stuff like that. But I was just like, after, you know, doing a nine day hunt somewhere on, on public land where it's a pack in pack out every day, it's, you know, it, it starts to wear on you a little bit, you know, not, not going to lie. And I was just, every year I'm looking at ways to try to reduce 
my my weight in and weight out and then also my ability to be quiet and, and set up and tear down um, and try to be able to move as quickly as I can. Um, and so whenever I, I started hearing more and more about saddle hunting and so I just was like, you know what, I got to check, I got to check this out. And so I started watching a bunch of your, your videos and they were super helpful just to kind of help me get a sense of what I'd be potentially getting, getting into. And I, I'd kind of like to start there at the, at the beginning and just kind of get a sense of, you know, for those out there to listen that might not be as as familiar, you know, just kind of to get a sense of what a tree saddle is exactly. And in just a few of the specific reasons why you, you know, particularly prefer to hunt out of one now. Sure. Well, I kind of got into it for the same reasons as you, you know, we, we already talked about, um, hunting public land and not wanting to invest, you know, hundreds, thousands, whatever, a, a large amount of money into multiple tree stand setups. Uh, and I went to the saddle hunting, but then what really got me to where I just was sold out and hardcore fanatic about it was when I got into ultralight backpacking. Hmm. Um, and that really changed my opinion on hunting. And I started taking a lot of the lessons learned from ultralight backpacking out West. And then when I came into the Northeast in the Adirondacks, uh, I, I really took those, those things that I had learned about counting grams and counting ounces and what do you really need do you really need all those creature comforts do you really need that extra blanket that extra jacket do you really need all that stuff and once I started going through that process from a backpacking and a hiking perspective I started to apply those things to hunting and I started to realize that a saddle was just perfectly tailored for an ultralight system and that's when I really caught the bug I mean I'd been saddle hunting before that but like I said, that really spurred me into just going full, full on fledged, full psycho into saddle hunting. And I really got obsessed with it. I got obsessed with, you know, cutting ounces and cutting weight while still being safe and minimizing all of the different straps and buckles and all of the things that were on in the, uh, the saddles of, of that time at in, at which there was really only one. There was only one saddle called the Trophy Line Tree Saddle. And it was kind of a, a big bulky thing and it was kind of uncomfortable and there was big burdensome straps and cumbersome uh, hookups. And it, it, I mean, it was better than a tree stand in my opinion, but it was still really bulky and cumbersome. And that's when I started kind of DIYing uh, my saddles and I started posting videos about it. It started to resonate with a lot of people that, hey, there's a better way to do this and you can do it light and still be safe. And uh, so I was DIYing all these things and I, I met a bunch of people via an online forum called saddlehunter.com and we all kind of together started DIYing all these solutions and coming up with these crazy <laughs> off-the-wall things. Some of them worked and some of them were completely unsafe and we should never have been doing it. But right. all of that led to this kind of epiphany, if you will, uh, of where we d have developed this kind of ultra light, ultra simple system. Um, but I guess to answer your, the second part of your question is what, what a saddle setup is. is think of, uh, think of kind of a, a swing set. So if you combined a swing set, you know, just a seat with a safety harness, you know, a belt that came across the swing set and then some leg straps that came up kind of like a climbing harness for, for rock climbers out there. That's we kind of merge those two together, so you have a rock the safety of a rock climbing harness, but then the comfort of of a seat built into it, 
And that's essentially uh, the kind of saddles that I'm hunting out of now. Nice. Yeah. I mean, whenever I was checking them out, it was, I, I had a, I had a misconception of what a, a saddle truly was before I really started investigating it. Um, I was, you know, honestly, was a little concerned with the, the safety of it and, and, and stuff like that. And it was really just due to ignorance, to, to be quite honest. I'll be the first one to admit that I didn't understand enough about it until I started watching a bunch of videos and really kind of understood like, wow, you know, you're really kind of, you're attached to the tree at all times. So there's, you know, there's no, you know, opportunity for you to fall from the tree from that, from that regard, you know, and, you know, look, if, if it's safe enough for someone who's going to be climbing, you know, the, a, a, uh, face of a, a mountain, um, and only using, you know, this, something similar to this apparatus and it's good enough for them to do that type of extreme sport, then I'd say it's probably pretty, I'd say it's good enough for me to sit in a tree awaiting a deer to walk by. And in, in my opinion, you know, not in, and not being however many thousands, hundreds of feet up off the ground. Um, so I'm curious, man, like all the, the weight cutting stuff, you know, is something that's obviously I'm super interested in, you know, but with everything, you know, there's, there's a given, there's a take, right. It's like with, with, with tree stands, it's like you get that larger platform and, and so on and so forth. Um, you know, and, and maybe it's just, you know, from familiarity, it's something you're just more comfortable with. Um, but you diminish your shot opportunities on the backside of trees and, you know, you can, and your pack in and pack out becomes a little bit more difficult and you're carrying more weight and so forth. I'm just curious, you know, from your opinion, you know, your opinion is, are there any cons or what are some of the, like, even if there's small cons where you're like, you know what, this is one thing you're going to have to account for if you're going to make a move from a saddle or from a, from a stand to a saddle. Yeah, there are. There definitely are. I mean, there's no such thing as a perfect system. A, right. a saddle's not going to be right for everyone, just like a lock-on's not right for everyone, and a a ladder stand's not right for everyone in every situation. I think you have to be uh, aware of that and cognizant of the fact that, you know, sometimes the different situations might call for a different tool. And you, you should probably think of a saddle as just another tool in your toolkit to help you get after those mature bucks. And... Uh, but as far as downsides, yeah, there's definitely a few downsides to a saddle. First of all is the learning curve. You know, you mm -hmm. talked about, um, or the perceived learning curve, I should say. Right. Uh, when you see a tree stand hanging on a tree, it's real obvious what you do with it. You know what I mean? You can see <laughs> right. a platform, you can see a seat, and you go, oh, okay. You know, a caveman could see a tree stand and go, oh, cool, I get it. You know, you can get up there and sit down, and then you can shoot stuff or you know, hunt stuff from right. above oh that makes perfect sense but when you see a saddle with some ropes and a few straps and maybe a buckler or two and you're going what in the world is that you know so right. there's a little bit of a learning curve there for sure and the the uh, another downside is that people don't know about it you know like you said you just kind of heard about it because of this groundswell of support or, or whatever you know this, this buzz on social media that's around saddles right now mm -hmm. but there's there's ignorance there's a learning curve and then for some people there's comfort issues in the beginning um i call it getting in saddle shape mm -hmm. um you know just imagine if anything that you do differently imagine if you can the first time you sat in a tree stand your butt hurts your knees hurt and it's awkward to sit that still for that long and you have lower back you know your lower back gets sore and it's just because you've never done it before. And then mm. the longer you get used to sitting in a tree stand, the more those things go away and you forget that, that you ever really had those same those comfort issues. It's the same exact scenario in a saddle. When you first do it and you're learning how to, you know, 
where it goes on your body and how to hook up your rope. And there's a few things that you have to get right to be comfortable. But when you're learning those things, you're probably going to experience a little bit of discomfort. You're probably going to feel a little awkward because it's, it's like I said, it's not obvious in, in all cases on how to do it. So the downside is, is some comfort, discomfort issues in the beginning until you figure it out. However, uh, it's important to add that once you figure it out and once you get your system nailed down, there are very few guys that would tell you, experienced saddle hunters, that would tell you that a tree stand is more comfortable than a saddle. I, I, I can't really think of anyone that's that has put the time in and figured it out and dialed in their system that that doesn't say that you know saddles are way more comfortable. In my opinion, they're a lot more comfortable than a traditional tree stand, but you know, not everyone is the same. So, uh, so the downsides are definitely learning curve, education, and maybe some comfort issues in the beginning. Now, when it comes to shooting, like you talked about, you know, one of the downsides of a tree stand is being able to, you may, you know, maybe you lose that shot behind the tree. One of the major benefits of saddle hunting is that you can truly shoot 360 degrees around the tree. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the big thing that things aside from the, the, the weight aspect that's, is super appealing to me because I mean, any, anyone out there that, you know, listening, you know, deer hunters, we've all had an opportunity where we've seen deer that were, man, they were just about there. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you just couldn't quite pull the shot off. I had that, you know, exact kind of scenario that played out last year with a deer I had chased for two years and just couldn't quite, quite get the shot. And, you know, I think anything you can do, those moments are so fleeting, right? Number one, um, that if you, you want to do everything you can to maximize your opportunity too. If you're like me and most everyone else, you know, it's, you work a normal job and so your time in the field is, is limited. So I don't want to limit my shot opportunities with my limited time. It's just kind of compounding one problem, compounding another or one barrier, compounding another, another, you know, so one, and we'll definitely get into like the comfort aspect of it when we, you know, we're definitely going to go through a scenario of like the setup and stuff like that, how to kind of get set up. And we, I want to talk about comfort in that area and how you would like adjust certain ropes and stuff like that to get yourself in, in, in the best position or how to kind of adjust things for yourself. So you make sure you're kind of getting into the right type of right type of setup to be as comfortable as possible. But first I want to kind of talk a little bit about the safety of the saddle versus a, a tree harness. Cause again, you know, I had plain ignorance of, of what the, the safety curve was for a saddle. So can you talk just a little bit about that and kind of the material that it's made out of and stuff like that? Absolutely. Now, the the biggest difference, what I like to say, my favorite safety difference between a traditional tree stand and, and, and I guess from here on out, I'll probably just compare, you know, if I'm talking about a tree stand, what I'm really talking about is like a traditional hang on style tree stand, you know, a lone right. wolf, a muddy, something like that. Not really comparing it to climbing tree stands or like a ladder tree stand, but a traditional lock on tree stand. And the big difference uh, to me for safety is I know for me, and I'm not going to speak for every hunter out there, but I hunted from traditional tree stands for 20-some years, and I never, ever, not once, wore a safety harness. Hmm. Um, not everyone's the same, but a lot of people don't wear safety harnesses, or they wear them when it's convenient. You know, if it's too right. hot, or they forget it, or whatever, you insert excuse here, but they don't wear it religiously. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so one of the major differences is that you cannot hunt in a saddle without your safety harness. It's built in. It's impossible to use without it. Secondly, uh, when it comes to safety, is a traditional... So let's say, okay, so now 
now you're you did wear your safety harness, right? So we're talking apples and apples. We both have a safety harness on one guy in a tree stand and one guy in a saddle. The guy in the tree stand, the safety harness is designed to catch your fall. So you've fallen and you're just hoping that safety harness stops you from hitting the ground. Right. A tree saddle is designed to prevent that from ever happening in the first place. So tree stand, uh, a safety harness uh, pre- pre- uh, catches your fall and a tree saddle prevents your fall. Now, in a tree stand, if you fall and your safety harness catches you, great. You know, it did what it's supposed to do. Now you still have to deal with, did it sling you around in a weird position to where you might have hit a limb uh, smacked your head on something? Did you hit your climbing stick and in your gut, in your leg? Did it impale you? Did you get injured? And then you also have to deal with, you know, maybe you have to self-rescue. Right. Uh, can you get back up on the stand? Can you get to your climbing sticks? So I've never fallen in a, in a traditional tree stand, and I may be way off. That may not even be a serious concern. There may be some guys that have fallen and are saying, man, you're crazy. That's not a real thing. You know, you just pull up. It's simple. But I have heard of people that have struggled with that. Um, the self-rescue thing is a thing. And that there are a lot of products out there that tend to or advertise that they help people from the self-rescue perspective. So you've got kind of two of those things. You've got the prevent your fall versus catching your fall. And then you've got, you know, you got to self-rescue afterwards. And and then the final thing that I'll hit on on safety is, is material. So everything that most uh well the, there's really only two commercially available three commercially available s- saddle options right now and they're all rated for just thousands of pounds and these yeah. things are built like tanks i mean you could hang a jeep from them i mean to, <laughs> quite literally they're rated for five six thousand pounds and uh it's just it's just kind of silly to think that you could ever get yourself in a situation where you would need something more robust than that Right. The thing that blows me away, man, is the, I think it's, and, and I'm a novice at this, so be, be easy on me here, is the is the bridge is made out of Amstel Blue. Is that right? Yeah. So the, the, the bridge on the Tethered Mantis is made out of Amstel Blue. For saddles in, in the past, they've always made their bridges out of heavy duty, heavy duty like, you know, 5,000 pound strength uh, webbing or climbing rope, which is a, a good bridge option, but it's just bulky and it's heavy compared to mm-hmm. Amsteel Blue. But yeah, you're right, man. Amsteel Blue is what uh, the Tethered Mantis bridge is made from. Yeah. And in the, in the, the poundage rating on that thing for the, for like the thickness of it is just ridiculous. Like I it forget. Is. How, well, what, what was, what was the rating again? I forget what it was. It yeah. Was so it's like 8,000 pounds, 70, 7,700 pounds or something like that. So Amsteel Blue, it's, it's, mildew and rot resistant it's it's a marine line and they made it to replace uh steel cables on boats so there's no damage you know so if something snapped in a steel cable you've obviously got this hazard of it recoiling and breaking stuff and not to mention how heavy it is and etc etc so so the same diameter am steel blue so we use quarter inch on the tethered mantis so a quarter inch am steel blue cable versus a quarter inch steel cable the Amsteel is stronger, and it's – I don't even know the weight rating. I need to look it up but it, or the, the weight difference, but I, I don't even know how much the weight difference would be on a foot of steel cable versus right. a, a foot of Amsteel. But a foot of Amsteel, you don't even know it's there. I mean you're talking right. like it's nothing. You don't even feel it, and it, it floats. It's mildew and rot resistant. It's, it's just a great rope, and it's super strong. Nice. Yeah, that was one of the things that kind of I was taken aback by as I was watching your videos was just that – that the strength of that 
that rope was just in, insane, you know? And once I kind of saw that, I was like, man, I was like, I, I don't know that how you could get something that would be more safe. Cause I like the idea. So I'm one of those guys who's wore a tree stand or I'm sorry, a tree stand wore a tree, um, harness all every hunt. Like if I don't have it with me, I'll turn around and walk out of the woods and won't hunt. If I don't, if I don't have, it. it's kind of a, a promise I made to, to my wife. And I have, yeah, and I would say that you are in the, in the minority. I I would guess. I mean, that's a total guess, but that's what I would think. Yeah. And I know plenty of guys that don't, don't wear them, you know what I mean? So it's like, even just among some of the cats that I know, you know, it's, there's definitely, I would say more that don't wear, you know, or don't, or wear occasionally than they do every, every hunt. And I just like the idea that, and going to be honest again, like there are times whenever I'm climbing that I don't. I don't tether myself until I'm at my height and in my stand, which is equally as silly as not wearing something. You know what I mean? Because most most falls happen, you know, whenever you're climbing into a stand on your ascent or descent. You know what I mean? That's usually when someone slips in the dark or something like that. You know, so it's the idea of being able to be kind of connected at all times is good for me and would make the wife really happy at the same time. Let's just be honest. Happy wife, happy life. So we're going to go ahead. Go. <laughs> <laughs> um but I, we were talking about comfort just a, a, a few minutes ago, and I definitely want to now kind of shift gears here and kind of walk through how to use one. But first, I want to start with kind of walking through like all the different gear options that you have in a, in a saddle setup. You know what I mean? So like if I'm going to start from net zero and I'm going to and I'm going to get into a saddle and I've and I've called you up or got on your website and I'm like, hey, I'm going to I'm going to get set up with a with a saddle on any type of rope and carabiners and you know those types of things like what all is the the setup that i need to get to kind of get started with that you really need four things you need your saddle obviously and that's gonna you know that's the seat that's what's going to support you at hunting height and that generally comes with a bridge and now your bridge is the piece that goes from hip to hip and it's generally like i said a rope climbing rope or amsteel blue or some sort of webbing strap if you're making your own, but it's it's essentially about a three foot long rope that goes from one hip to the other, and that's what you clip in your carabiner to from your tether. So that's all we're just going to call that whole piece the saddle, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and from your saddle, you're going to need a tether. That is your main safety line. It's climbing rated rope. You're talking five, six, seven thousand pound rated rope. A lot of guys are using the same styles of ropes with their traditional tree stand harnesses. So that's mm-hmm. not all that much different. But a climbing rope, uh, and that's your tether. That's what supports you when you're up in the tree. Then your third piece is your lineman belt. Now this isn't a unique a, a unique feature of saddle hunting. It's just really easy to use with saddle hunting with mm-hmm. with a saddle setup because of the way they're built. Um, but that's the rope that you connect to the tree, you know, you go around the tree and connect to your other hip at the bottom. And then as you're climbing, you know, you can lean against that and it supports your weights. So you can put on your climbing stick or screw in a, a step or whatever you need to do as you're climbing the tree. That's your lineman belt. And that's stolen from the arborist and the, and the lineman industry, you know, electric pole climber people. Um, right. And it's just a safety tool. So you, so, so you need your saddle, you need your tether, you need your lineman belt. And then finally you can, you need some type of platform for when you get to hunting height so you can maneuver, uh, for a shot in the tree. And there's really two styles of platforms. There's a pivot style platform, which is uh, the, the, the easiest way to describe it is, is like a mini, a mini tree stand. And, and you can really DIY one, you can put one together or you can get one, you know, commercially available. But 
but that's that's one style of platform and that's the style that I really like I think it's the most comfortable so imagine um, the way these kind of came about the first guys that made these things were taking uh, seats off of old lone wolf uh, tree mm-hmm. stands so you can you can you know just visualize in your head a small lone wolf seat and that's the size platform we're talking about so these things are super tiny and you attach that to the tree and that's what you you stand on um, when you're not you know, most of the sat, most of the weight is in your butt, but then you just use right. that for your feet to maneuver around for a shot. So that's one style of platform, and the second style of platform I like to call the ring style, and that's done with either strap-on uh, uh, steps. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal: develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com You can get those from Bullman Outdoors. You can get those on eBay, Craigslist, old Ameristep strap-on steps, or you can use uh, screw-in style tree steps, or you can use Wild Edge steps. They have a product called the Wild, uh, the Step Ladder from Wild Edge, and so there's three or four different options that you can use for a ring style. And the way that they differ, like I said, the, the first of all, the pivot style. So imagine that little tree stand seat up there that you're standing on, and you don't move around the tree with that style of platform. You just stay in one place, and then you just kind of pivot to your left and your right to to maneuver for all the shots. Whereas in a ring style platform, you make a ring of steps around the tree and then you can walk around the tree. There are advantages and disadvantages for both uh, platform styles and we can get into that later if you like. But that's that's basically what you need. You need a you need a saddle, you need a tether, you need a lineman belt so you're safe and then you need a platform uh, for when you get up there. Now that doesn't include climbing the tree, but you got to climb the tree no matter what style of hunting you're, you're doing. So uh, right. I didn't include that, but you're going to definitely need those four items for sure right i'm curious like i think you know as you mentioned there's there's pros and cons to the the step ring or the the, the platform i think you know since we're here let's just go ahead and jump into it because i was curious when you were mentioning you you use a platform and that's kind of what my intention is just because i think it's one piece of familiarity that i can pull from how i was hunting previously that'll just maybe add that uh that just that one piece of comfort you know what i mean that's just that's familiar um, so I'm curious why you like the platform and what, what are some of the pros and cons? You're 100% right, man. The main thing is that for people coming over from – well, I guess everyone is coming over from a traditional tree <laughs> right. stand. Uh, so for, for you guys that aren't into saddle hunting yet, the platform, the, the pivot-style platform is a great way to get into it because, like, you just – you hit the nail on the head, Clint. It's it's familiar. You understand. It's real obvious what you do with it. You know, it, it just makes sense. And um, – I hunted exclusively out of a ring style platform uh, for the first five or six years that I was a saddle hunter because no one was, they didn't pivot style platforms, a little seat style platforms. They didn't exist. Um, that was really a product of just kind of a bunch of crazy DIY people that hacked it together and figured it out. But to me, the biggest difference is comfort. (laughs) I find the platform, the, the pivot style platform is much more comfortable than the ring style platform now you'll have you'll have saddle hunter purists that will argue with me about that all day long it's it's very very driven by personal preference for me personally i like the pivot style platform a lot better i think it's more comfortable i think it's easier to shoot from now that said 
I still probably hunt 40% of the time out of a ring style platform because mm-hmm. anytime I set up a tree that is preset, you know, if I'm going in before the season and hanging sticks or uh, screwing steps or whatever, I'm prepping a tree in advance, I'll almost always hang a, hang a ring of steps around that tree because it's just easier for me. And I find them comfortable enough for, you know, a two to four hour sit. If I was going to, if I was going to sit all day long, I would want a, a, a pivot style platform. Uh, and, and that's just personal preference. I also think it's easier to, to shoot 360 degrees on a pivot style platform if you have a smaller tree. So imagine a, a basketball size tree at hunting mm-hmm. height and anything that's kind of my my go-to size if if the tree is bigger around than a basketball you may have a little problems shooting 360 degrees from a pivot style platform but a basketball size tree or smaller you can shoot all the way around the tree front behind left right all of it no problem from that one specific spot and you don't have to move around the tree so it's really personal preference there um the the cons to the the ring style platform is that you know i think there's a little bit more movement in the tree so if you're sitting in the tree you know you're hanging there at six o'clock and you want to shoot off to your right which is your weak side so imagine imagine you're facing the tree you know you hang in a in a tree saddle facing the tree and so your weak side, if you're a right-handed shooter, are you a right-handed shooter, Clint? Are you? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Right so your weak side then would be off to your right. You right. know, you know what I'm saying. The the yep. shots to your left are super easy. You can just pull the bow and shoot, no problem. But to your yeah. right, I call that the weak side. And the shot to the weak side is the hardest one to take in a saddle, just like it is in a in a tree stand. You have to get up and turn around, you know, turn side to side in a in a tree stand to make that shot. Uh, So on a ring style platform, the way you make that shot to your right is you either walk around the tree clockwise until you get kind of on top of the tree and then you shoot backwards or you kind of pivot or you kind of walk around the other way counterclockwise with your back to the game until you can spin around and make the shot. It's just a little bit easier to make that shot on a on a pivot style platform because you don't have to walk around the tree. You just kind of stand up and pivot your feet until you're facing the deer and you can make the shot. So it's a little bit easier. It's a little bit more comfortable. Um, but then, like I said, if it's a bigger tree, you lose a little bit of 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 your shooting angle. So you may have to add a couple of steps around the tree to to get around it. So. Yeah, like I said, pros and cons, personal preference. Uh, if I could only pick one, if if I was getting into saddle hunting and I could only pick one, I would pick a, a, a pivot style platform just because I think it's easier. Yeah, and that's kind of my, that's going to be my first foray in is, is, is that approach just for all the reasons you kind of kind of said. And that as I was watching the videos of the different shooting angles and stuff like that, to me, it just seemed more intuitive. And in, in using the platform from what I'm used to in, in terms of getting my shot and stuff like that. So I figured that would be the way I the way I started. And uh, and it did just kind of seem like it was a little bit more comfortable because you have a solid place to kind of rest your feet as opposed to having to keep your feet kind of turned, you know, to make sure you're in the arch of your foot on your steps. So you're not going to slip or anything like that. So it just seemed like it'd be overall a little bit more comfortable of a sit. Yeah, um, you're you're 100 percent right. That's those are true things. Yep. So. Excuse me. I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about, you know, you you mentioned the saddle itself and some of the components that, that you need. But, you know, I think one thing that's interesting what you guys have going on was just the, the material that the is being used in the saddle and kind of how, you know, the 
I think it was the Molly Loop system is is set up for kind of tacking on additional additional gear without tacking on a bunch of weight. So if you wouldn't mind, just kind of give us a a rundown of of, of what that you know the saddle actually is, is is made of and how it's kind of constructed. So the one that we made, uh, the Tethered Mantis, is is pretty incredible. Uh, it's it's right about a pound, uh, sixteen ounces, give or take, um, depending on what size you are, but. It's it's made out of uh, mil spec mesh, uh, which is it's it's the same mesh that the U.S. military uses. All branches, Army, Air Force, Navy, Marines. Um, I don't think Navy wears body armor, but you know Marines certainly do. So, right. Anyway, so it's the same mesh that they use in the uh, the IOTV, which is the improved outer tactical vest or the integrated outer outer tactical vest. I can't remember. Anyway, body armor. The body armor for the military. They use the same mesh to uh, build the inside of it with this the same mesh that we're using in our saddle it's super strong it's super durable mildew rot resistance all that stuff and then we're using super high tensile strength webbing uh for the main components of of the saddle you're talking you know six thousand pound webbing it's very strong uh we're using a load rated buckle for the for the waist so it's rated for two thousand pounds um the bridge we talked about that it's amsteel yep. blue it's seven thousand some kind of stupid number you could you could hang a jeep from it it's ridiculously strong but the cool part is is we were able to do that and get it all down to you know right around a pound and then like what you kind of mentioned is is we 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 just we came up with a way of attaching gear to the saddle um for the way i like to do it is i like to put a pouch on each of my hips and we call them cis hauler pouches uh, mm-hmm. store your stuff pouches and um, we came up with a way of attaching it to the saddle where it's super fast super easy and super light and you know I like to store my ropes so my tether and my lineman belt they they live in those little pouches on my hip and then I put my pull-up rope for my bow and you know maybe a flashlight grunt call some some simple stuff like that I those all live in the pouches on my hips um, and it's always attached to my saddle so I always know where it is and 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 you know we came up with some other cool things for the saddle like you know back support and we came up with an insulator that keeps your butt warm if you hunt in cold climates <laughs> i certainly don't need it in the right. uh in the swamps of georgia but you guys up north probably do so right there's lots of cool things that, that are that are uh you can get in the tethered system right that's awesome man because it was funny you mentioned the the butt warmer man i was talking to a buddy of mine last night because he's he saddle hunted you know i want to say in the like the maybe late nineties, you know, he, he had tried it and he still has that saddle and he's never gone back to it. Cause he was like, man, he did it during an early season. I think the one that he used at that time was made out of neoprene or something like that. And he said, man, my butt sweat so bad during that early season set. He's like that. I've never gotten into another saddle. And I kind of explained to him, I was like, man, I was like this, I was explaining, you know, what you guys have going on. I was like, there's like, it's made out of mesh. I was like, I don't think you'd have that problem. And he was like, man, if I, you know, if, if my rear end doesn't sweat, he's like, I think I could probably be enticed to, to, to give it another try. He's like, so let me know what you think. And then I just, I combated him by saying, I think, I think he's sweaty just in general. So <laughs> yeah, I think it might be a him issue versus. <laughs> well, I have that same saddle that he's talking about that trophy line neoprene saddle. Uh, that is that was, what it is? Yeah. Okay. That was the one that I learned to hunt from. That was the very first one I owned. I still have it. I still have two of them, actually. And, nice. yeah, it's a hot saddle, man. There is there is no two ways about it. In the early season, your butt will sweat something fierce. Right. <laughs> nice. So, man, shifting gears here, I want to kind of jump into the second aspect that I kind of alluded to a little bit earlier, which is the process of actually climbing and getting set up at, at height. 
So you do, you know, we're gonna have to do a little bit of theater of the mind here because, you know, you do a great job in, in, in a bunch of different videos that I've watched kind of explaining the everything from the climb to getting set up to, you know, what side you should be hanging your bow on, like everything you could possibly think of. And, and I'll definitely link to all those, you know, your YouTube channels and stuff like that on in the uh, in the blog uh, show notes and stuff. So people can kind of get there and, and, and get the visual of it. But if you wouldn't mind, let's do a little theater of the mind here and uh, and kind of walk folks through from the moment you kind of get to the tree. to you're trying to get up and set up at, at the right height. Yeah, that's a great idea, because a lot of people have those questions and they just can't. They can't visualize it in their mind, so maybe we can talk it through and, and figure it out. So when I show, let's do this. Let's just let's go ahead and assume that we're using like a set of lone wolf sticks. People are real familiar with that. So yep. uh, we're, we're going to say we're going to climb this tree with our saddle and a set of lone wolf sticks. So I get to the tree, uh, and I, I you know obviously I unpack my sticks and whatever, tie my bow off, whatever that's on the ground, just like any other hunter would do. Uh, so the first thing that I do is I set I'd set my first stick, boom, on the tree tighten it down good to go then then i would go ahead and pass my lineman belt around the tree and and tighten it down so i'm connected to the tree now i can go ahead and climb up on that first step well let's back up one thing uh the one of the one of the benefits of the saddle that we developed there you have these molly loops so i'd attach my first stick to the tree and then i would attach my second and my third sticks to the molly loops on each hip so now i have a second stick on my right hip and a third stick on my left hip. So now I don't I don't have to come back down the tree. Everything's already done. It's all attached to me. I can climb up one time and that's it. Uh, so I've attached my first stick. I climb up to the top of the second stick. I tighten my lineman belt down so I'm super, super tight to the tree. Now I'm free to stand on my stick and I have both hands free to go ahead and mount my second stick because that lineman belt is holding me in place. I don't have to worry about falling. So I attach my second stick, do the same exact process for the third, climb up, attach the second, uh, third stick, and then at the top of my third stick, what I do, let's, and we'll we'll just go from the from the perspective of a a pivot style platform because that's what we just said we both want to use. So I always attach my um, my platform if I can to the to the left side of my top stick. Uh, kind of, you know, I'm going to say around like seven o'clock, um, if I'm sitting at six o'clock. So it's kind of just, just off to the side and about, well, I guess it really depends on the tree where, you know, if I want to step down onto the platform, if I want to keep, you know, go a little higher and climb up, but that's Mm -hmm. really not important to the scenario, I guess. But you want to put the platform on your left hand side and tighten everything down. And then right before you climb onto your platform, Clint, you mentioned it earlier, the most dangerous part of the climb or the descent is that transition from your tree stand to your climbing method, right? That's where mm-hmm. like some kind of craze, like 80 or 90% of falls happen right, right there. And so what I like to do is I go ahead and put my tether on as high as I can reach, just like if you were in safety harness, as high as I can reach, I tie my tether to the tree and I go ahead and clip that into my saddle. So now I'm attached with my lineman belt. And I'm attached with my tether. So if something happens, I'm completely safe. Then I'll go ahead and climb onto my platform and go ahead and adjust my tether exactly where it needs to be. And at that point, I'm completely tied into the tree. I'm 100% safe. I can't fall. It's impossible. There's no chance of falling and getting injured. And at that point, I would, you know, pull up my bow, pull up my pack, whatever else I had down there, go and hang them on the tree, and I'm ready to hunt. 
Nice. It's uh yeah. I mean, it's it's not too foreign from if you're if you're a mobile stand hunter. The the difference is is that you're constantly attached attached to the tree, and now you've got a ton of shot opportunities and a ridiculously light apparatus to kind of get you get you into the tree. Uh, one thing I'm curious about, like, so you know, is there after you get into the tree, right, and you're going to kind of try to get yourself kind of set up for the right height of like to set your bridge because as i was watching things it's like i kind of understand like your bridge height is really going to kind of be the indicator of your comfort level like your ability to set that successfully which also is going to have a relationship to the height that you set your set your te- your tether so i've seen some guys like to set their tether where it's like forehead high or eye high or like chin high or do you have a kind of a method as to where you like to set your tether yeah, for for about ninety percent of guys uh, on the Saddle Hunter Forum, which is the largest community of saddle hunters in the world, um, and about ninety percent of those guys like a chin to forehead height tether. Um, there are a few guys that are kind of outliers that like a really high tether. Some guys, a very a very small percentage of guys, like to set their tether as high as they can reach. And that comes from the old trophy line tree saddle days when that's how they taught everyone to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so most of the people that like that high tether are guys that have been doing it for a really long time and they're just used to doing it that way. Uh, I used to do it that way until I tried setting it at my forehead and I was like, man, I, what have I been missing? It is so much more comfortable with the lower tether height. Uh, you don't get um, hip pinch. That's something that, that you'll hear in the saddle hunting world where you feel like it's just squeezing you at the hips and it's very uncomfortable and I felt it before and it sucks. It's no fun. But moving that tether down really solves the issue of hip pinch. Uh, so I like to keep it right about eyeball level, to a little bit low. It just it depends on the tree, you know. If you're hunting a really small tree, you can sometimes do it a little bit higher. Or if you're hunting a really big tree, you might need to do it a little bit lower. But we're not talking big adjustments, you know, four or five inches is all you're talking about, you know, um, and you'll be super comfortable. Right. So what about, what about kind of setting your, your bridge height then at the, then at that point, like, is there, is there any tricks or tips or methods to the madness to kind of get that set to where you're, you have the right amount of knee bend and you're in your, you know, you're not kind of putting too much weight on your legs and most of your weight is in your, in your rear end in the saddle. Is there any kind of trick to setting that up? Before we continue our conversation, let's talk about Wicked Tree Gear saws. Hardcore deer hunters need hardcore tools. Do yourself a favor and check out Wicked Tree Gear, the toughest hand saws and pull saws on earth. You buy it once, you buy it for life, backed by a lifetime guarantee. Right now, if you use the promo code TRUTH, you'll save 20% on your next purchase with free ground shipping. So head over to wickedtreegear.com and get a saw that's tough enough to work as hard as you hunt. Yeah, that really boils down to personal preference. Now, I don't, I don't, run an adjustable bridge anymore i found Hmm. like um that i just didn't i I never changed it i i I was way more apt to change uh the length of my tether so not not where i hooked it up it's always hooked up at my my eyeballs you know for instance Mm -hmm. that's where the knot is or or the the girth hitch is on the tree is right at my eyeballs but you can you know you have an eight foot tether so you can you can move your prussic knot or your ropeman one, which is what connects your carabiner to your mm-hmm. to your tether. Uh, you can move that up closer to the tree so you're standing more upright, or you can lower it down so you're leaning way out from the tree. And it's it's I found that there's so much adjustability in in your tether that you don't need an adjustable bridge anymore. Um, mm-hmm. So that's how I run it. That's how I'm gonna say 
you know, the majority of guys, I don't really want to put a percentage on it. If I had to, I would say probably 60 or maybe, maybe 70 to 80 percent of guys aren't running adjustable bridges anymore. And even if they are running an adjustable bridge, they don't, they hardly ever adjust it. They're adjusting their tether length a lot more frequently than they are adjusting their bridge. So your comfort really is going to boil down to, um, where you set your tether and then how close you are to the tree. So in other words, how, how tight your carabiner is to the knot of your tether. Right. Hmm. That's uh, that's good to know. Cause I was thinking that it would be more, you know, the adjustable, the, the, the nature of the uh, adjustability of the, of the bridge, but um, it makes sense in terms of not needing to, if you just kind of manage the, the tether, it seems it makes sense of moving you further into the tree or further away from. Yeah. And it's easier to adjust on your tether than it is your bridge because um, just just because of the physics of the way you hook up, the adjusting your tether is your tether length is really easy. You just you know I use a Ropeman one, um, which probably the best way to explain that is is a video, but uh, it's just a really quick way of adjusting length on your tether. Yeah. Um. So at this point, you'd mentioned just a couple seconds ago, you know, some where you kind of set set things in, in terms of your tether and so forth. It, it maybe partially you know kind of dictated by the size of the tree it might need to be a little higher a little lower depending on the 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 girth of the tree so i want to get a sense of how you kind of spec out potential trees to to saddle hunt out of is there any you know are you looking for you know trees that are well i guess let me frame it this way is it any more challenging to hunt in things that hunt in, hunt out of trees that are going to be leaning one way or the other? Or are you looking for a straight tree or like, so I'm just kind of curious of as to the type of tree that you're going to look at. I, I definitely prefer to hunt a, a straight section of tree. Mm-hmm. Um, you can hunt leaning trees. You just, you're going to sacrifice a little bit of comfort. So right. at, at the end of the day, you just got to figure out what's important to you. I mean, if you've got a big mature buck pegged, and the only tree that works is a super uncomfortable tree. Well, you know, suck it up, buttercup. You got to figure it out. <laughs> um, but if I had, you know, my my preferred tree is definitely a straight tree. I prefer trees that uh, have a lot of forks or branches, um, really trunks that split into two or three different, uh, you know, sections of, of, of trunk. That's the best tree for me because I can get up and hide in there. But, yeah, a straight tree is preferable. Um, if you're going to hunt a leaning tree, you def you never hunt the side of the lean. You always hunt the top or the bottom of the lean. And okay. depending on how severe it is, you may not even be able to hunt one side or the other. You know, if it's really lean and far, you might only be able to hunt the the top side of the lean. It just it just depends. It also depends on your your platform. With a with a pivot style platform, it's a, le- a little easier to get away with a, a leaning tree because the way you can set it up and you have you can put a little bit more weight in your feet for a longer period yeah. of time than you could with a ring style platform. So it's, it's really hard to say, but the, the perfect scenario is a straight ish tree. You, you don't need a totally straight tree. You just, you know, at hunting height, if you had, you know, four to six foot of straight tree, that would probably be enough. Right. So what about, you know, in terms of cleaning, cleaning up the tree or prepping a tree for a saddle versus a, a traditional stand? 
is there any difference is there any difference there in terms of how much you know trimming you might have to do to get to to get your shooting lanes opened up is you know there is that component of the of the saddle where it's like if you are going to make a move from one side of the tree to the other and this might be more specific to using a, a ring of steps versus a platform possibly you know you are going to have to clean up any branches that might be in the you know, in the middle of your, your move, you know, that your bridge may catch on potentially. So I'm just kind of curious of, you know, the amount of cleaning up of the tree that has to be done versus a, versus a traditional tree stand. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a, a valid point, you know, and what you may, what you may decide to do is just to not, not shoot that direction, you know, cause you, you, right. you would, you'd be in the, in the same scenario in a tree stand. If you have branches coming out at the wrong height, you can't shoot that way. You know what I mean? Right. E- even yeah. in a traditional tree stand. So, yeah, this, it's definitely something you have to consider. And if you're you hit the nail on the head, if you're using a, a a ring style and you and you need to be able to walk around the tree, yeah, you might have to do a little bit of trimming. But I I don't ever encounter that problem. Um, I think it's something that people are maybe maybe it's fear based. Maybe you think, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to encounter this when in reality it doesn't happen all that often. But it's just something to consider, you know, anytime mm-hmm. you're looking at a tree and, you know, you do it in a traditional tree stand too. You go, oh, look at that, oh, that branch is in the way, you know, I don't think that would work. Oh, but, you know, the deer is going to come from the east and if I set up in this tree, I would have to be facing west and that's no good. So those same types of things that you, you think about setting up a traditional tree stand, you, you think through the same things with a, a saddle. It just, with a saddle, it opens up a little bit more possibilities because, you know, there's there's very few trees that you can't hunt with a saddle. Right. Yeah, it definitely opens up some flexibility. It allows you, I would think, too, to get into some even smaller trees that might be in the right the the right money spot. Exactly. That you wouldn't other yeah, that you wouldn't otherwise be able to get into with with a tree stand. I'm a kind of guy that I prefer I try to trim those as little as possible. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, I, I prefer to have the cover and I'll give up a shot opportunity, especially if, if I'm in a tree and the deer don't know that I'm there and I don't get my shot opportunity and they don't know that I'm there, then it's the net tree's huntable again. You exactly. Know, I can come back and hunt that same spot again and try to get my shot. So, you know, I kind of I, I'm fall in line with you there where it's like I prefer the cover. I'll forfeit a shot. I have to forfeit shots in a tree stand anyway. So, you know, no, no big deal. Nothing that I'm not used to. Yeah. And I generally set up to where if I'm going to give up a shot, it's going to be off to that weak side, you know, yeah. to, to my right hand, it's my right, my right side. So, you know, it happens every now and again, but I mean, as a general rule, it's not something I encounter very often. Right. So what about, so this is one thing that I definitely noticed as I was watching videos was just like, there's a different approach to how you kind of, once you're in the saddle, there's, you know, there's leaners and sitters yeah, <laughs> for lack of a better way to put it. And I'm just kind of curious, you know, what have you found to kind of be the, the best approach or how do you, how do you set up and how does the major, how do the majority of, of folks using a saddle like to set up? Typically? This is, it's really split. There's a, really, the, yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot of guys that only do one or the other. Uh, for instance, uh, Scott Hamilton, he is the founder of saddlehunter.com and he pretty much only sits uh, now when, when I say sitting, I mean, imagine, you know, for those of you that unfamiliar with saddle hunting, imagine a, a swing set and you're just sitting in a swing. That's what we mean by sitting. You're literally sitting. The saddle is supporting all of your weight, um, or, you know, 90% of your weight, 95% of your weight. And then you have leaning. So imagine, you know, you're in the kitchen talking to your wife and, 
Uh, you've got your cold favorite cold beverage of choice, and there she's, you go. She's talking, and you're kind of droning out, and you're leaning back up against the kitchen cabinets. You know what I mean? The counter, yeah. and yeah. and and you know, fifty percent of your weight is in your butt, leaning against the the countertop, and then you know some other percentage, fifty percent or whatever, is in your feet. Uh, that's what we call leaning. And uh, pretty pretty obvious. I think I made that way more complicated than it needed to be. But <laughs> right. But I was thinking when you were talking about the the leaning, I was like that. that I would call that doing your best James Dean. Right. To, <laughs> there to you go. A popular Americana rock song. There you go. That's way better than my convoluted analogy of being disrespectful <laughs> to your wife. <laughs> um, but for me personally, I I lean versus sit probably seventy thirty, maybe sixty forty hmm. lean. Um, it's just really comfortable on a on a pivot style platform, you know, a seat style platform to just kind of put your feet on there, cross your arms and just kind of lean back into it. And it's very comfortable and I can I can hang out that way for hours. Uh, and then, you know, when I when I when I want to, I just sit down, and I put my knees against the tree. I wear knee pads or if the trees on the small side, you can actually straddle the tree. Um, and it kind of goes, you know, right in between your thighs and it's super comfortable to sit that way for a long time. You can take a nap that way. Uh, it's very comfortable. So that's really the, the main difference. Most people I would say do a combination of leaning mm-hmm. and sitting probably, you know, 50, 50, 60, 40, something like that. But then you do have the, the, some folks that say, Oh, I never sit down in it. I mean, I, I know guys on, on the saddlehunter.com forum that, they never sit. They sit there and lean the entire time, and it works for them. Now, leaners typically, well, almost almost universally like a, a pivot-style platform with a, a bigger surface area for your feet. And right. the sitters can tend to get away with more of the ring-style platforms because there's not hardly any weight in your feet. So, it, it you know what I mean? There's there's so many options there that it, it really it's really going to go back to personal preference and what you – what you feel comfortable with and it goes back to like i said at the beginning you got to get in a saddle shape you have to learn what works for you how you like to hunt um you know what kind of shape you're in uh saddle shape doesn't really doesn't really pertain to you know your fitness level but when you're hanging in a tree versus sitting on a seat you know there's different pressure points it pulls on your hips differently it pulls on your butt differently it just creates different tensions that you're not used to so you really have to get your body adjusted to it yeah and, there's one thing and it's not ahead, like it, yeah it's not like it takes forever i mean I, I don't want to make it sound like you know you have to put in all this extra time just hanging in your backyard to to use one of these things you don't but what i'm saying is those first few times you do it you're probably going to be a little uncomfortable it's probably going to you know your legs are going to feel a little uncomfortable in certain certain ways you know you may only be able to stay in one position for 15 or 20 minutes before you need to change positions and and that's all normal and it goes away in time you know it, it you, your body eventually gets into saddle shape and you just you can do it much easier nice yeah i think i think for me i would probably be a sitter um only because I don't know. I think I'd just be more comfortable that way. I think that eventually at some point my, my knees or ankles would start, ended up bothering me. Um, so I'd probably sit. And I do also like the idea of putting my head up against the tree and taking a nap. Not going to lie. That's also, it's also a factor that I'm, cons- I'm considering. You know what I mean? It's like you're on one of those like nine day hunts. You know, last year I did a nine day hunt in some, some rough country and lived out of a, uh, 
they pull behind trailer for nine days in a in a state park and just you know on a cot in a pull behind trailer and about day seven there was there was some napping that was happening during the uh during the the uh late morning lull if you will right before you know right before you would think deer might get up on their feet to do some bed checking that would be about the time i'd take a little nap man i hear you i hear you it's uh now i'm not gonna say that uh a saddle is as comfortable as like a big summit climber i mean i hunted at a big summit climber for years and those things are freaking unbelievably comfortable so we're not talking about that level of comfort but you know do you really need that level of comfort um dude it's a trade-off nap almost anywhere i can nap almost anywhere (laughs) it's like i'm good i figured out last year how to nap in a in a lone wolf assault too like the small like mobile setup it's like so i figured out how to nap in that i think i I could nap almost anywhere. I think you'll be just fine. That's right. Um, so I, w- I want to cover shooting from the saddle because I think that's probably one of the things that people get the most hung up about, right? To a, to a degree, it's like after they after they pass the you know the part where they they're just unfamiliar and they kind of learn that you know a lot of the same things you're going to do from your approach standpoint is going to be very similar to what you currently do to hunt mobily with a with a hang on, right? Yep. Um, you know, once you get up into the tree, yeah, the function is a little bit different, but at the end of the day, you're, you're, you're sitting in a, a saddle versus a tree stand. Your ascent was very similar. You just didn't have as much weight to your point. You got to get in saddle shape because it is a little bit different. But to me, I think where folks get a little standoffish is, you know, they're so used to, you know, I think a couple things, I think one, I think folks spend a lot of time practicing shooting their bow in their backyard on flat ground, which you know, you typically don't shoot from flat ground whenever you're hunting, you know, when you're, when you're bow hunting, you know, unless maybe you're hunting from a ground blind, but you know, even then you're probably, probably sitting, um, you know, so they don't, I don't think practice often enough from elevation, I think is, is one. Um, and then two, you know, when you do practice on flat ground, everyone kind of understands that, like you make a T formation, right. To kind of get into your archery stance and then you bend at the hip. So you don't change your anchor points as you're, you know, as you're getting ready to, you know, for your, to, to aim and then obviously go through your shot sequence. Um, and then it seems like, you know, I would think people were a little hesitant because when you're in your saddle and you go to take a shot opportunity, you do have to maybe move a little bit to get into place, depending on which side or what area the animal is approaching from. And then at times you're using the tree as like kind of your, your brace, right? And then whenever you're going to draw, it's like, you don't have that platform that you're standing flat footed on to draw back, get your anchors and then bend at your hips. Like you do in your backyard, you know, all summer long when you're practicing, this is all sometimes happening at an angle, you know, as you're kind of, you know, perched to kind of make your shot. So can you talk just a little bit about, you know, shooting from the saddle, how you approach it and some things that maybe to consider to kind of make sure that you're keeping your anchor points kind of in check and that you're keeping your, your form together. Yeah. First of all, you break up, you, you bring up a great point about your T form. It's something that saddle hunters talk about a lot. It's actually, believe it or not, it's actually easier to keep proper T form in a saddle than it hmm. is from a traditional tree stand. In a traditional tree stand, you're standing straight up. And then like you said, you're supposed to do, you're supposed to draw the bow level and then bend at the hips, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to keep that T form. Well, in a saddle, you're never straight up. Right. A- almost never. You're always leaning back uh, away from the tree. So when you, when you draw your bow, you don't have to bend at the hips. So you're already in proper T form, believe it or not. When I, I know you're going to get set up with a saddle and you're going to try it and you're going to go, man, Greg wasn't lying. You're, it really is easier <laughs> to shoot in T form uh, from, from a saddle. So first of all, with accuracy, I'm more accurate, I believe, in my opinion, from a saddle than I am from a traditional tree stand. 
now it could be, be just because I have so much time in a tree stand or a tree saddle now that I'm so familiar with it and so confident in it that um, that it's just better for me. But the other right. thing is that you are so rock solid in a saddle. I mean, you are using you're you're but most of the time when I shoot, I have a knee uh, a, a knee up against the tree to brace myself, and I am just I'm I'm leaning into my harness at my hips. So I mean, I'm I am fully supported by the saddle and it gives you a rock solid base to shoot from. Uh, and then you know, to kind of answer the first part of your question about the different shot selection. So first of all, when you set up in a saddle, you're going to always set up where you're going to, you're going to set up where the anticipated shot where you think the deer are going to come from. They're always going to be off to your left. Now this is the position we're going to talk about this from right-handed shooters because, you know, 90% of people are right-handed. Right. So you're going to, just like you would in a tree stand, right? If you, if you are setting up your tree stand, you're going to set it up to where when those deer come in, most, most people do it where they're going to be off to their left or in front of them, right? You don't set up where in a traditional tree stand where they're going to be, where you think the deer are going to be coming behind you or they're going to be coming off to your right because that's, that's a hard shot to do in a tree stand. So if the deer comes off to your right, you know, you got to, you got to stand up, right. And you got to, you got to turn towards the deer, you know, so you got to turn a hundred no, 90 degrees, right. So you can make that mm-hmm. shot off to your right. Well, but everything in a, in a traditional tree stand, let's talk about from the position of a clock. So everything from what, like if you're facing noon in the, in the tree stand, so everything from, I'm going to say, what would you say? 10 or 11 o'clock to mm-hmm down uh counterclockwise to about mm, seven o'clock or so is a pretty easy shot from a tree stand right you can cover that that whole portion of the clock pretty easily same thing in a saddle from you're going to set up where everything is coming to your left hand side and everything from 10 11 o'clock all the way down to seven o'clock or so is really easy to shoot you don't have to make any movement you just draw your bow whether you're leaning or sitting, it doesn't matter. You just draw your bow and you just turn and shoot. No movement, virtually no movement in in either of those tree stand or tree saddle. Same, no movement. Where where the tree saddle really excels is um, in the in the traditional tree stand, trying to shoot behind the tree. Right, um, you can't do that in a lot of scenarios directly behind the tree. Uh, so let's say from what like. Six o'clock, five o'clock, something like that in a tree stand would mm-hmm. be really hard to make that shot behind you, depending on the size of the tree, right? I mean, now if you're hunting a small tree, you might be able to get away with it, but as a general rule, you can't really shoot behind you in a tree, in a traditional tree stand. Whereas in a saddle, the the behind you shot is it's so easy, man. You just you just turn in your hips, face away from the tree, and you make the shot. It's very easy. There's some videos that I made, and a couple of there's probably some more on uh, on YouTube. There's a there's a fellow by the name of David Toms that uh, he has some great 360 shooting videos about how to do it in a saddle. He goes through it. I go through it. I have a video on my YouTube channel where I show every single shot from a from a tree stand and a tree saddle, and show you just exactly how to do it uh, in a tree saddle. We call it kind of 
this kind of like four shots. I don't know why we like to make things complicated in the saddle hunting world, but we do. <laughs> so we named these shots. We named it the the strong side shot, which is your you know your left hand side, which is the easy one. And then you right. got your weak weak side shot, which is off to your right, which is the hard one. And then you've got the top shot, which is on the top of the clock or in front of you. Then the ten to the ten to two shot, uh, which is in front of the tree which is another easy shot to make from a saddle. And then you've got the drop shot, which is like your 7 o'clock to 5 o'clock, uh, which mm-hmm. directly behind you. And that's another really easy shot to make in a, in a saddle. The only kind of difficult shot to make is that weak side shot where you have to turn around um, and, and, and shoot you know, t- off to your, your weak side. So I avoid setting up in areas where I have to take the weak side shot. I've done it before. I shot my very first mule deer in Colorado, mule deer buck. Uh, I shot him on my weak side and it was totally fine. I've shot a number of deer from my weak side. I just, I prefer to set up in spots where I don't have to take that shot because I feel like if you are going to make a lot of movement in a tree saddle, that's where it's going to be. It's going to be from trying to maneuver to get that weak side shot. Right. And those, the videos you have to do a bang up job of kind of showing the different scenarios for those different, sh- you know, those shot opportunities. Um, you know, cause just like, you know, anyone else, that was one of my kind of concerns was just like, man, it's going to be different, you know, and it's like, and how long is it going to take me to kind of, you know, get used to that? And, and, and is there a lot of movement? And I was surprised, man, there's, there's not nearly as much movement to get into a position to take those shots as you, as you would think. And I think it's almost like, I, I equated it almost to like footwork. I grew up wrestling. So it was, I equated it almost to like footwork in wrestling where it's like, once you got your footwork down of like how you need to move your feet it becomes really simple. Cause it's just, it's all about how you, how you pivot, you know what I mean? And like, which foot's going to be your lead <laughs> for this shot. You know what I mean? This, I've moved this foot to here, this foot to here. Here's my shot, you know? Um, so for me, that's what kind of simplified it to where it was like, all right, it's really just all about my foot movement and placing my feet at the right place. And if I can do that, then I can make whatever shot I need to make. That's right. I tell everybody, um, every everyone that's buying a saddle, that's getting into saddle hunting, I tell everyone, go in your backyard, set up six inches off the ground, and I tell them to do two things. Go and, and, and figure out how to make those shots. And what you'll find is that it's it's a lot easier than you think. You know, when you when when you're when it's unfamiliar and you've never seen it before, you can think of a hundred reasons why you wouldn't be able to do it and a hundred reasons why the deer is going to see you and, you know, even more reasons why it's just way too much movement. And then when you go out and you set up your platform six inches off the ground and you tether in and you start doing it, what everyone says is, oh man, just, just like you said, Clint, it's like, oh, it's really not as bad as I thought. I thought it was going to be you know, flailing around the tree and, 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 you know, doing all these crazy things to get set up. And it's really not, you just move your feet a couple of ways, put a knee against the tree to brace yourself if you need to, and you make the shot. It's really simple. And so that's the first thing that I tell everybody to do. And then the second thing I tell everyone to do is to hang, you know, six, eight inches off the ground and go upside down because what that's going to do is going to teach you to trust your gear. And you're going to realize that you can't fall out of this thing. And that's important for two reasons. One, because, you know, at 30 feet up, you want to know that this thing is going to hold you. And you you learn that. You want to learn that eight inches above the ground as opposed to 30 (laughs) feet above the ground. But it's going to give you a lot of confidence when you're when you're up high. And the second reason is once that once you have that confidence, what you'll find yourself doing is leaning out away from the tree. You'll put one foot on the tree, and you're leaning completely away from the tree like an acrobat, I'm telling you. But you have so much confidence in this thing because you know how 
how well it's built and how strong it is and that you can't fall, that it gives you the confidence to lean out and make these shots that you just couldn't make from a traditional tree stand setup. Nice. Yeah, man, I'm looking forward to swinging around in my backyard like a fool and uh, giving the neighbors something to watch. Dude, it's so, so much that's... fun. That's that's the <laughs> other thing that I always tell people that are that are considering a, a, a tree saddle. It is a lot of fun. You know, sometimes you have to be careful because you'll catch yourself moving around you know, too much right. because it's fun. You know, you're hanging there and you're like, Ooh, I'm going to move my feet over here and see what it's like. And right. I, I do it even today. And, you know, I've been hunting out of one of these things for, for shit, eight years now or whatever. And I right. still do it. You know, I get up there and I move around and, and, and it's fun to hang there. Uh, and you just don't have that, that, the, the, the fun factor when it comes to traditional tree stand, it's just a tool. You know, your tree stand is just a hunk of metal that sits there. There's, there's no personality to it, but the 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 tree saddle man, it's a lot of fun, and I tell people that all the time. Don't underestimate uh, putting injecting some fun into your hunt. Right, and it's it's freeing too a little bit. I mean, you're just you're suspended right above the, above the ground, which is kind of an, a new interesting feeling as well. You know what I mean? So I'm kind of looking forward to you know being able to kind of experience that. That too, man. I want to take a couple minutes here. You know, I know I've kept you here for a little while, but I do want to kind of talk just a little bit about, you know, some of the tethered products and what you guys have kind of going on. So if, if you wouldn't mind, just kind of give us the, the genesis of where, you know, the the idea came from and then, you know, what you guys have going on and, and, and when things will be available. So this the, the story of tethered is kind of crazy and uh, I'm I'm not the only one in. I've partner Ernie Power. He's he is uh, the other half of tethered. And then we have this incredible team of guys that helped us build these products and test and engineer these products. And, and tethered is kind of unique because it was born from an online community. Um, Hmm. I've mentioned it several times here, saddlehunter.com. Everyone involved in tethered has been an active member of saddlehunter.com for many years. And we have all been contributing to the saddle community as a whole, you know, DIYing products and coming up with solutions and different climbing methods and platforms. And, and what, what we did is we took some of the leaders of that forum and we said, Hey guys, why do we have to DIY all this crap and search through eBay and Craigslist and look for these DIY solutions when every other hunter in the world can just go to lonewolf.com or summit.com or, you know, insert tree stand brand here.com and buy the crap that they need, but we have to go through and figure it out for ourselves. And and we said, you know what? Screw that. We're gonna we're gonna do it ourselves, and we're gonna make the ultimate tree stamp or tree saddle products for saddle hunters. And and that's how it came about. I mean, it was as simple as that. It was a bunch of dudes that said, "Screw it, let's do it." And that's awesome. And that's what happened. And then we had no idea if people were going to want to buy our stuff, if they were going to think we're crazy, if they were going <laughs> to laugh. I mean, we, we had no clue. We just said, hey, guys, you know, we're going to – we're building the ultimate saddle. It's going to weigh a pound. It's going to be the lightest, strongest saddle ever made. And then not only that, we're going to make the first commercially available pivot-style platform that's ever been made. And we're going to make the accessories that all of us want to hunt with because, like I said, we're all DIYing this stuff and buying crap off eBay and sewing up our own gear. And so we just finally said we're going to make all make it all exactly how we want it. And, you know, it was somewhat selfish. We wanted we wanted the stuff that we wanted, and and it turns out all the other saddle hunters wanted it too. So we started it for pre order um, in in uh, the last few days of May. 
So it's been going for like, oh, I don't know. I can't do the math here. Since the last part of May. And right. we blew away the minimums that we needed to get the manufacturing. We were sewing everything uh, here in the U.S. at a at a um, ISO-rated facility. It's like super strong. There's all these safety ratings that they have to do to get this spe- specific certification. Um, and so we're sewing everything right here in America. All the products are, you know, here locally made. Like I said, it's mil-spec. A lot of the materials are all mil-spec, which means – uh, if they're if they meet a mil spec criteria, they have to be made in America for the U.S. military because mm-hmm. there's a law okay. that says that the U.S. military can't buy products that were made overseas. Um, mm-hmm. So if it okay. if a product if ever if ever a product is advertised as using mil spec materials, it means it's made right here in the U.S. So that's the stuff nice. that we're using, and we're using uh, a, a foundry in Minnesota is is casting all of our um, Predator platforms. So. We kind of we developed this whole system. The Predator platform, uh, which is a pivot style platform, it's two under three pounds. It's like two point two point seven pounds. The Mantis saddle is right at a pound, and then the ropes and everything that you need is a pound and a half or so. So your complete ready to hunt kit is less than uh, less than five pounds, or right at five pounds. And nice. that's. You to, to, to compare that with a tree stand, you'd have to use, you know, find the lightest tree stand that you can find, which most people probably like the lone wolf assault or whatever, which right. what's like 11 pounds or so. Yeah, 11 pounds, I believe. Yeah, and I don't yeah. I don't even think that includes the ratchet straps or the the lone wolf straps to attach it to the tree. Um, right. But let's just say that it does. Let's just say it's 11 pounds with that. And then you got to throw in a safety harness, you know, to make it fair, a fair comparison and a, you yep. know, a strap for your safety harness. So you're at what, 11, 12, 13, 14 pounds, something like that. And we're talking yep. five for the entire, entire tethered kit. So it's a huge, yep. huge weight savings, not to mention all the other bonuses that Advantages. we talked about. Yeah. But, and then, you yeah. know, we, we started from the ground up and we, like I said, we engineered the kind of pouches that we want. We wanted them to be able to easy to hook up so you can put them on and off with one hand. We kind of re-engineered that whole system and we engineered um a warmer because we we didn't what we didn't want to do is is sell someone a mesh saddle that that froze your butt off during the winter so and then (laughs) and then you could say oh yeah okay so now it's winter ha 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 you have to buy our new saddle that's you know made of different materials so your butt doesn't get warm well we didn't want to do that so we came up with a way it's the first ever it's the first ever saddle insulator we engineered and designed, and we call it the SBW, and it's an insulator for when it gets really cold. And we just we did a whole bunch of stuff, man, from the ground up. Even the way that we're doing our ropes, no one else in the world is doing doing their ropes like like we do. We have them factory spliced, which is really expensive, hmm. but it reduces your weight, it reduces your bulk, makes it more packable, makes it easier to use, and so that's what we wanted to do. It's a little bit more expensive, but we feel like the trade-offs were worth it. So we're the only ones in the world making these uh, factory splice ropes uh, for tethers and lineman belts. And uh, we got a lot of cool stuff. You should really just check it out and see if it's uh, if it's something that would be for you. Yeah, man. It's it. It's all the gear on the site is super cool. Um, <laughs> it's it was really what kind of enticed me. You know what I mean? It was an interesting modern take on something that's been you know, less utilized and, and somewhat unknown for quite, quite a bit of time to the masses, I guess I should say, there's always been, you know, some, some purists out there that have, that have used and, um, were diehard, you know, kind of committed to it. Um, but it was just the way you guys kind of present it, um, in this new modern kind of way using, you know, the best materials and kind of thinking through all the different challenges and all the different ways that 
could possibly fall short and then, you know, rectifying those is, is important and is, is, is impressive. Like the, the commitment you guys have to, to making the quality product that people are going to want is, is, uh, is top notch. So definitely appreciate, definitely appreciate that, man. I, I always, I always like to end with, with folks here on the, on the show with a little bit of a story. Um, and I hate to put you on the spot, but if you wouldn't mind, uh, give us a, a hunting story if, if if you could. You know something that might be memorable to, memorable to you. It could be a near miss. It could be something with family. It could be a nice nice you know hunt that you went on that you harvested the animal you were after. Uh, but just you know whatever story it is, just give us every detail from the time you hop into the timber back to the tailgate. Okay, man, I can do that really easily. So I, I'll talk about this last season. My brother and I. Um, we decided to do a Midwest whitetail hunt. Now, we're both Southern guys, right? I'm in Savannah, Georgia. He's in Pensacola, Florida. So we don't get to hunt big bucks. We hunt mm-hmm. small Florida and Southeast Georgia deer. So we, we've hunted all over the country, and whenever we get the chance, we like to go somewhere. So we'll start from the beginning. So we plan to go to Fort Campbell, Kentucky, and the second week of November, right? That's prime time, buddy. They're running yep. all over the woods. It's perfect. We've been planning this this hunt for months. We had hotels reserved. We had a boat reserved because we were going to be we were going to be doing some water access stuff. We had cabins nice. reserved so we could hunt different portions of this installation. Now Fort Campbell is a military installation and because I'm active duty military, it's easy for me to get access to some of these hidden gems. It's a place where nice. They have tons and tons of land, you know, several hundred thousand acres. It's all open to the public, but it's kind of a pain in the butt if you don't know how to navigate the federal system. So it's kind of like these hidden gems. So anyway, long story short, we've done everything. We've bought the Onyx maps. We've done all the pins. We know we have a game plan. We're going to show up Saturday afternoon, scout Saturday afternoon, scout Sunday afternoon, and then start hunting Monday morning. Uh, we had probably 20 or 30 spots picked out to go scout to make sure they were spots that, you know, they look great on a map, but we wanted to get boots on the ground to see if it was actually somewhere we wanted to hunt. So we had all these plans. We had done all the legwork. It was perfect. We're leaving on Saturday. It's Wednesday before, I mean, three days away. And the the military installation posts a notice on their outdoors website that says, due to military training, all hunting on Fort Stewart or Fort Campbell is closed for the next two weeks. And we're like, Oh no. I mean, it totally crushed our plans. I mean, it was awful. And so I called my brother and I'm like, Bobby, you're not going to believe this, man. We can't go. They closed the entire installation. Now we got to go somewhere else. And he's like, well, where do you want to go? And I started thinking, I was like, well, we had hunted Indiana before. I've got some friends in Ohio. They offered us to go to Ohio and, so we were really probably going to go to Ohio, and then out of the blue, I was like, hey, man, I kind of always wanted to go to Illinois. You want to go to Illinois? And he's like, sure, let's do it. So literally with two days' notice, we picked a spot. We went to Shawnee National <laughs> Forest in southern Illinois. We'd never been there before. I'd never stepped foot inside the state of Illinois. We drove over there, found a hotel. We, we picked a piece of public land. We spent Saturday and Sunday. We stuck to the same game plan. We spent Saturday and Sunday scouting. And we narrowed it down to this one tract of public land in southern Illinois that we were going to focus our attention on. And to boot, my brother's not a saddle hunter. He was a <laughs> traditional tree stand hunter, but he wanted to give it a try for this trip. So I made him uh, a DIY saddle. This is before tethered or anything like that was available. So I made him a saddle, and I got him a set of lone wolf climbing sticks. I made him a platform. I outfitted the whole thing. And 
when we got there, I gave him a rundown on how it all worked and everything, and he's like, okay, I'm ready. So we hunted, uh, I think we ended up scouting Monday morning too because we just didn't feel confident at, at that point in our in our spot. So our first hunt was, was Monday afternoon, and, and uh, we didn't have a whole lot of activity the first couple of days, um, but I got on some bucks, and on the third day, actually the second biggest buck I've ever seen in my life, I think he was about a 140 maybe 150 nice uh he came by and i made a terrible shot on him I, I shouldn't have taken the shot i got the whole thing on film and i put it on my youtube channel but i i made a bad shot it was one of those things where i had worked so hard to get back there and you know with all the effort that we had put forth that yeah. I, I i just made a bad choice and i took a bad shot and uh, to this day, I'm not 100% sure that I hit the deer. I'm about 80, 90% sure that I hit the deer in the film. It kind of looks like I hit the deer back um, mm-hmm. in the in the, in the the hind end, but I can't swear to it either way. I uh, never found blood, looked for two days, never found blood, never found an arrow. And when the deer ran off, he didn't make a lot of noise. So it was so thick in mm-hmm. there, I there was just no, no telling which way he went. So uh, I, it was in a cattail marsh. So... I I, ne- I didn't get the deer, but my brother on the very last day or the second to last day, he um he hadn't had a whole lot of success. He hadn't been seeing much. So we we kind of put our heads together and I said, "Bobby, I know this is going to be a crappy hike, but if you make this hike, look at this funnel, this pinch point right here in between a lake and a set of railroad tracks." And I said, "If you go here, you're going to see a buck chasing a doe. I, I, I know it. It's just, it's just too good of a scenario. And I know that there's not very many people going there because it was a, it was a pain in the butt to get there. And so he right. did it. He went back there and he hunted in the afternoon and he came back that night and he said, yeah, man, this is a good spot, man. I really think I'm going to see a deer here. And so I was like, yeah, man, stick with it. So he went back the next morning and he shot his biggest archery buck ever out of that spot. Nice. The deer, the buck came in real early. It was actually, it was a funny, he said a train came by and he was probably only 50 yards from the train tracks. And the train, a train came by and he was like, oh great, that scared everything off. And he said like two minutes later, right after the train, here comes the deer. The deer came, crossed the railroad tracks, came down, worked the scrape and Bobby shot him from the saddle. And that was his first ever saddle deer and his biggest archery buck to boot. Man, that is awesome, dude. That is a killer hunt, man. So, so are you going back to Illinois to try to uh, to, to try to finish the story? Yeah, we're we're definitely going to go back. And then there, there's one other cool part to the story that I I would I would feel remiss if I didn't say. But uh, so so now we've got this big buck down, and and we're like, what in the world do we do? We we didn't plan very properly. In in the Fort Campbell, Kentucky hunt, <laughs> I had a buddy that was, he was our contact there. So he was going to take care of us and, you know, butchers and all that stuff. Uh, but we didn't get that far in Illinois. So earlier in the week, we had actually hunted a, another piece of public ground that we had, we trespassed on. We didn't know we trespassed on. There was a, a lake, right. a, a river that went through and separated this small little chunk of public ground, but the only way to get to it by land was to go and through was to go through private ground. Well, we walked the the riverbed, um, and which we thought was legal because in the South, anywhere where there's there's water, that's public land. You can always access right. with water. Well, it turns out in Illinois, that's not the case. And um, so this Bobby was hunting back there. He walked through the river, got to this little piece of public land. And he hunted in the morning, and some dude, like, right after daylight, was just laying on the horn. And Bobby was like, what is going on? Is there, like, 
did he hit a deer or hit a person or something? He said the dude was honking his horn for like 15 minutes. And so Bobby, he finally gets down and he goes out and there's a there's a note on his windshield that says, hey, you're hunting. We think you're hunting in this spot. And I just want to let you know it's trespassing. And if you do it again, I'm going to call the cops. And the guy left his phone number. And so my brother called him and he said, hey, man, I just want to let you know I wasn't trespassing. We actually I walked up through the river you know, it's public land. I walked up through the riverbed, and then I accessed the public land. So I didn't walk across your land. And he was real nice, real apologetic, said, I, you know, I wasn't trying to cause problems from out of town. And the guy said, well, you know, this happens to me every year. Uh, people hunt that spot, and they go through the river, and they think they're doing it legally, but they're not. Because in the state of Illinois, <laughs> I can actually own the river. Um, so turns out, Bobby, he had been trespassing, and we didn't know it. But because he was so nice to the guy and apologetic, the guy said, the farmer said, hey, man, you're like the only guy that has ever apologized and been nice to me. Most of them just say, <laughs> you know, screw you. You're full of it. You just don't want me hunting the public land because you think you have it to yourself. And he said, most guys are dicks. And, right. and so the guy's like, hey, you know, if you ever need anything, just let me know. <laughs> so, you know, now we've got to so you know, fast forward four <laughs> days later and we've got this big giant buck on the ground. We don't know what to do with it. And I said, Bobby, let's call that farmer and see if he'll help us out. So we call him. And he actually, he says, you know, call these guys, gives us a phone number, and we call him. Turns out a couple of guys that are on staff at Midwest Whitetail uh, okay. um, that film and hunt for Midwest Whitetail, Bill Winkie's out, outfit. Uh, they're there, and it's these guys, and they say, yeah, come on over. So they take us over to their house, and they're about to leave to go out for the evening hunt. And they say, hey, man, you know, the cooler's in the back. We got a place to skin your deer. You throw it in the freezer. They said there's beers in the fridge. The house is open. You know, our house is your house. They don't know us from Adam. And they opened up their home, and they let us use all their stuff. We took care of the deer. We ended up hanging out with those guys, having dinner with them. It it ended up being a really, really cool uh, trip. Um, And that's one of the most memorable hunts that I've ever been on. Man, that is awesome that you hooked up with those dudes. Dude, it's just, it's one of those things where I, I had a conversation with my buddy the other week about this. Um, hunters, you know, hunters meeting other hunters is just some of the best folks you can run into. You know what I mean? It's just, it's that, it's that common bond, you know, that you have with each other that it doesn't matter if, if how many other things you have between, you know, you and whomever you're talking to that are different. As long as there's that commonality, it's like it almost like washes most everything else away and you can just be cool and appreciate each other. And the the fact that you both enjoy the outdoors and it's just, it's like nothing that, you know, I don't know that it, uh, I would say maybe those who have been in the military, right. Experience that type of, you know, doesn't matter where you come from, what you've done previously when you're in this platoon or whatever the case might be. It's like you, you're instantaneously brothers. Cause all the other, the only thing that matters is that you're here together type of thing. Um, and hunting for me is one of those things. I keep, I've heard multiple stories like that where it's like another hunter helping another hunter they've never known in their entire life. And uh, I think that's a really good way to, to, to kind of wrap this thing up, man. But uh, before I let you go, if you wouldn't mind, uh, let folks know where they can find out more information about Tethered, you know, where they can follow you, the website, YouTube. Give us give us all the deets and where people can find more information. Yeah, man, I appreciate that. Yeah, so it, the, the website is tetherednation.com, and uh, we – we misspelled it intentionally, but it ends up backfiring because people can never find it. So it's tethered. It's T E T H R D. We got rid of the two E's in there. So T E T H R D 
tetherednation.com, tetherednation.com. But I think I ended up buying all the domains around it. So if you just type in Tethered Nation, you'll find it, or Mantis Saddle, you'll right. find it. And then on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube, we're Tethered Nation on all those places. And then you can find me, um, uh, G2 Outdoors, all of the saddle hunting videos you could possibly want, uh, bridges and tethers and lineman belts and ropemans and platforms and shooting. I go all over. I go over all that stuff in detail, step-by-step, on my YouTube channel at G2 Outdoors. And that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. You can also get me on the Saddle Hunter Forum. Everyone that's interested in saddle hunting should definitely go to saddlehunter.com. Like I said, it is the premier place for saddle hunting information. And it's a great group of guys like you just talked about, Clint. I mean, it's like a bunch of hunters that just want people to – to learn about saddle hunting and so they're always anxious and willing to help new guys asking dumb questions first time questions it doesn't matter you'll get us you'll get an answer no one's gonna you know berate you for asking the same question that's been asked before so i i highly recommend saddlehunter.com and then you can check out tethered nation you know if if you're interested in purchasing a saddle get set up uh tethered nation is where you need to be Awesome, man. Well, hey, dude, I do appreciate you making some time this evening. I know you've been busy with some field exercises and so forth, so I appreciate you making some time to jump on here and talk a little a little saddle hunting. And uh, I definitely will have you back on here whenever fall rolls around and get a get a check in and see how uh, see how you're making out, brother. Yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to come back in the fall and see how you're making out. Okay. See see what your opinion is of the saddle and and if it's something that's going to work for you or not. For sure, man. I, I look forward to it. And you have yourself a good evening. All right, buddy. Thanks. All right, folks. That's a wrap for today's show. We'd like to thank Greg for joining. Check him out at tetherednation.com. And if you'd like to order the Mantis saddle and any other accessories, or if you just were wanting to see some videos to help you get started saddle hunting, you can do all of this at tetherednation.com. Greg also has a bunch of uh, really cool and helpful uh, saddle videos on his G2 Outdoors YouTube channel, so be sure to check him out there as well. I'll, of course, have all the links that I just mentioned in the blog post show notes. Also, be sure to sign up for the Truth From The Stand mailing list. This will get you entered into the drawing uh, to win the Exodus Trek camera, and you can do this by going to truthfromthestand.com backslash about and signing up for the newsletter. Or you can sign up using the pop-up on the truthfromthestand.com page as well. Finally, we'd like to thank all of you for listening, and if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. We'd be super appreciative of your support there. And before we shut this thing down, we need to give a big shout out to our partners that continue to help us make this podcast possible. Wicked Tree Gear, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Trophy Ridge, Ozonics, Obsession Bows, Tecamani Seed, Glacier Coolers, Ramcat Broadheads, and Trophy Taker Rests. And until next time, we'll see you.
All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.